you hear us through your AirPods or see us on your laptop, how about meeting us in real life? Because we're taking Queer Money on the road this summer and fall. Visit QueerMoneyPodcast.com forward slash tour or the link in your podcast player to find out when we'll be in your neighborhood. Financial success. Do you want it? Of course you do. Why else would you be listening to or watching the Queer Money Podcast? But if you want success, then you probably want to use the best tools that are available, right? So we keep saying that there's no part of the economy designed for success quite like the stock market. But investing in individual stocks can feel daunting and scary, and that scares a lot of people away. That's why we're sharing with you everything you need to know about mutual fund and ETF or exchange-traded fund investing to grow your wealth, financial security, and retirement savings. You're listening to Queer Money episode number 294 as we continue our investing series on this very last week of 2021. Remember, we make the Queer Money Podcast for you. So if you have any questions about investing, about financial independence, or about money in general, ask them in the Queer Money Facebook group, and we may answer them in an upcoming episode. Now let's get on with the show. There's personal finance for the masses. This is not personal finance for the masses. This is Queer Money. Queer Money is made possible by Capital One. Capital One believes that financial well-being includes your mental, physical, and financial health. Check out CapitalOne.com today. So we got a lot of positive feedback on episode 290 of the Career Money Podcast when we talked about investing in individual stocks. But many are still fearful about picking the right stock, right? right. There's this sort of pressure to pick the, the hot stock and make your millions, right? right? Well, I think there's so much of this kind of bro investing success porn out there right now, right? I did this, I picked the right stock. And I think a lot of people feel the pressure to be able to share their success stories when they're investing. Exactly. So the good news is, is that you don't have to pick the right stock. You just have to make the right investment choice, which is way easier. (laughs) And that's what we're talking about today when we talk about mutual funds and exchange traded funds. So David, kick us off. What are mutual funds? Right. What are mutual funds? Well, mutual funds are a basket of investments, investments that are pooled together to create a unique investment product. What do you put in your basket of investments? Well, pretty much anything can go in there. You can put stocks, bonds, treasuries, which are a type of bond, annuities, cash or cash-like investments, and a whole bunch of other things that can go into these. So to put that more in layman's terms, think of a mutual fund like making soup, right? The basket that David talked about would be the pot. And you would throw your ingredients in there contingent on the type of soup that you're making. So you would throw your either your beef bouillon, chicken, or vegetable bouillon in there based on what you're trying to make. And then you throw salt and pepper and celery and carrots and all the sorts of ingredients just based on what you what you want to make. So if you want to make chicken soup, those are specific types of ingredients. If you want to throw uh, make vegetable soup, that would require a specific type of ingredients. Wedding soup would require something altogether different. And who doesn't love gazpacho? Right. So now we're all hungry, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, the thing with mutual funds, unlike stocks, is that they don't trade actively all day long, every day. They simply trade once a day, typically at the end of the day. That's because, as David said, they're a basket of investments. The stocks are moving and all the other, the value of all the other investments are moving up and down all day long. So the mutual fund managers wait until the market closes. They calculate the changes of each of the individual investments. And that's when they quantify how the, the performance of that mutual fund for that particular day. 
One of the important things to know about mutual funds is that they come with annual operating expenses. I just mentioned that there's a mutual fund manager. Well, someone has to pay for that person's salary and their entire staff, right? They've got a secretary and an assistant and all, all sorts of stuff like that. They also have back office support. They have marketing they have research and development. There's a lot of work that goes into managing these mutual funds. The annual operating expense that's charged from these mutual funds helps cover those costs. Sometimes those annual operating expenses can be kind of egregious. And we'll talk about that a little bit later. Right. So what types of mutual funds are there out there? Well, just like there's a lot of different types of stocks, there's a lot of different types of mutual funds. And so what you will typically find is that there are specific groups of mutual funds that are based on these types of investments. So for example, when it comes to stock mutual funds, you might have stock mutual funds that are based on an asset allocation. And we haven't talked about asset allocation yet, but asset allocation basically means the way or all of the pieces that go in to make up your total portfolio. So your total mutual fund portfolio may be made up of a lot of different kinds of investments, especially if you want your investments to be conservative or maybe moderate or very risky that could make up your asset allocation. Or you may have objective-driven mutual funds. So for example, maybe your mutual fund manager is looking for companies that are really going to grow fast. So they're focused on growth. Or maybe they're investing in value. Now, what is value investing? That's when your mutual fund manager is looking for companies that they think are trading at a discount. Back on episode 290, I talked about our experience of owning Chipotle when it dropped in value because of of the issues that it was having with health concerns in their restaurants, that was a perfect opportunity for value investing managers to go out and buy Chipotle because they thought long-term it would increase in value. Or maybe you have income mutual funds. And really the desire there is that they're throwing off dividends. They're buying stocks that are throwing off dividends that they can then pass through to the holders of the mutual funds that they can live off of that income. But the most popular and most common types of mutual funds that you're going to see out there are the index mutual funds. This is when they're tracking a specific index or a particular size of stock or company. So you might have large cap, medium cap or small cap, they're looking at the market cap, uh, capitalization of those companies, or maybe they're tracking a global index, right? So they're looking at stocks from all around the world. Lastly, there's also ones that focus away from stocks. You might see ones that are focused on bonds or cash. And then there are, are, are alternative investments, buying things like real estate or art. Those kinds of things can be put together into a mutual fund to create value. So what are the risks and rewards with investing in mutual funds? Well, as I said in the outset, probably the biggest risk is the annual operating expense. In some cases, these expenses, as I said, can be quite egregious. The other challenge that some mutual funds have is that the objectives of these mutual funds that are stated in the mutual fund prospectus can be kind of difficult or narrow for mutual fund managers navigate, right? They have to stay within those objectives. Otherwise, they might be fined and in some case might be penalized or even let go from managing that fund because they've deviated from what the stated objective is. And that can be challenging as, all, as well as expensive. Also, doing the research to live up to the objectives of these mutual funds can be somewhat laborious. It's not just the mutual fund manager who's doing the research in many cases. Very often, they have a team of people doing the research, and that's a lot of salaries that you have to pay for. Finally, the 
lowest cost mutual funds are typically index funds. Um, and that's a great way to sort of offset the expense of what these high annual operating expense mutual funds might be. So that's actually uh, lowest cost mutual funds would be the direction you'd want to head into, um, which as David said, would be those index funds. Passive mutual funds can be a great way to beat more expensively managed mutual funds. Uh, there have been lots of studies that have shown that it's challenging for active managers or managers of actively managed funds to be able to beat the indices that David talked about earlier, the large cap, small cap, medium cap indices because of all the additional work that's required to do that. A lot of it is predictability, educated guesses, and that can be somewhat challenging. For example, in Goldman Sachs reported not that long ago that 85% of actively managed large cap fund managers trailed the S&P 500 in 2014. So for those people who had actively managed large cap funds, it probably would have been better for them to be invested in a, an index fund, a large cap S&P 500 index fund, rather than having to pay their fund manager. And that, they would have had that much more money going towards the growth of their investment, as opposed to going to those high annual, op annual operating expenses. Some mutual funds don't have a diversification objective. That's something to be aware of. They may be more concentrated based on industries and market sectors. Very often, people are sold the idea of going into mutual funds because they provide diversification but not all mutual funds have a goal of diversification. Some are very concentrated. So you want to be aware of what you're looking for. I actually used to work for a mutual fund company. And one of the most popular mutual funds that we had was a mutual fund that only held 20 companies at a time, <laughs> which meant it was very concentrated and there was a lot of risk associated with it. It did very well in good years, but it did very poorly in not so good years. <laughs> exactly. Um, and then uh, finally, owning too many mutual funds in an attempt to achieve diversification, which is sometimes a mistake that, that many people make, um, will often create an overlap in stocks or positions within that those mutual funds, thereby creating concentrated positions, which is something that we talked about on episode 290 of the podcast. And that can then throw off what your stated objective of your personal portfolio is. Yeah. One of the other risks that's associated with mutual funds is the task, the tax risks. When you are handing over your money to a mutual fund manager who's going to be doing the trading, all of the buying and selling, you don't have control as to when and how things are bought and sold. So when those transactions take place, they're not considering your individual tax circumstances. So oftentimes, especially if you're not holding a mutual fund in a tax deferred or an IRA, 401k type of account, you may be hit with a large tax bill based on the trading that the manager is doing. So you have that risk of all of a sudden having to come up with money to pay this big tax bill. The other risk that's associated with taxes and with performance with mutual funds is some mutual funds are rather small. And so if a lot of people start to get out of that fund at the same time, the manager then may be required to sell a lot of the holdings within that mutual fund, which creates that tax circumstance. And then that is passed through to you. But one of the other things that can happen is that it can create momentum and drive the price of the mutual fund down as more and more people start to get out. And then that just continues to snowball. So you want to be careful when you're looking at mutual funds that you're not looking at ones that are rather small. Exactly. Capital One strives to inspire a better financial path for everyone, including the LGBTQ plus community through access to credit, tools to manage debt, and product features. 
Digital products such as CreditWise and Eno are designed to take the stress out of money by helping you manage credit, a key source of potential stress, and stay on top of spending without worrying all the time. Sign up for CreditWise for free today. Then, so what are some of the rewards of mutual funds? Well, there are several actually, and quite ironically, one of the the biggest rewards is is the contradictory to what the biggest risks is is that you get the mutual fund manager. Not everybody can hire or afford a financial advisor, and some mutual fund managers are worth their weight in gold. Right, there are some superstar mutual fund managers out there. Yeah, so if you have a couple of these mutual funds run by these superstar mutual fund managers, it's in a sense, having an amazing financial advisor. Now, they're not necessarily managing specifically for you, but they're going to help with the performance of the mutual fund, thereby helping the performance of your portfolio. Another nice thing about mutual funds is there's a lot of concern, especially I think in the LGBTQ community, that investing is only for rich people. Well, that's not the case, especially anymore, especially today. A lot of mutual funds now offer uh, low dollar investing for both initial purchases as well as reoccurring purchases. In some cases, you can start with an initial investment of $25. That is easily accessible to most people, and that's a great way to get started. Just a few mutual funds is all that's necessary to provide a good diversified portfolio. Like I said, there's sometimes there's this idea that if I own a lot of mutual funds, that'll provide me even more diversification. Well, that kind of strategy can kind of create some overlap. So all you really need is a, a two, three, four, five at most mutual funds to have a great, well-balanced portfolio to help you achieve your goal. And a great place to do that is your 401k. Absolutely. Company-sponsored retirement plans are a great way for most people to get started with investing. In many cases, they only have access to anywhere from four to at most 12 different mutual funds. And all that you need of those four to 12 mutual funds is anywhere from two to five maximum. And every LGBTQ person who has access to a company-sponsored retirement plan should be taking advantage of that. And we're going to talk about more uh, later why that's the case. Finally, there are great tax-advantaged mutual funds that are perfect for taxable accounts. So if you want to invest outside of a retirement account uh, and you don't want to deal with high taxable consequences, there are actually great managed tax advantage mutual funds to help keep your taxable consequences down even when you're outside of a retirement account. All right. Deep breath. We just finished mutual funds. Now let's talk about ETFs. What are ETFs? Well, ETF stands for exchange traded funds. So similar to mutual funds, ETFs are a basket of stocks. Um, They're a basket. Well, I don't want to say stocks. They're a basket of investments that are pooled together. They're that soup that John talked about before that create this unique investment. But what is different about these is they actually trade real time, just like stocks do. And so that means that for many of these, um, you're able to buy and sell them at any point during the day, rather than as John mentioned with mutual funds, there's usually the only the sell at the end of the day. The other thing is, is that many of these ETFs are not necessarily what we would consider to be actively managed. So because of that, they don't have the fees that a lot of mutual funds do. The other thing is, is that mutual funds have to have a back office. Oftentimes, you can purchase mutual funds directly with the mutual fund company. So they have a staff that takes care of all of those transactions, right? Well, 
the ETFs are actually traded on the exchange. So you don't have that back office association there. Um, But I will remind you that there are some actively managed ETFs. So do your research when you're looking and you're buying, especially when you're looking at the tax consequences and the fees that are associated with this. Oftentimes, the ones with the lowest fees are the ones that are going to be the least managed, and that is going to provide you some of the most benefit. Exactly. So what are the different types of ETFs? Well, there are actually as many different types of mutual funds as there are out there. Um, There are that many, if not more, exchange-traded funds. So one of the most popular types of ETFs are the index trading ETFs. So you've got the S&P 500 for large cap. You have Russell 2000 for small cap. Other types of index or other type of mutual funds are broader-based indices with various investment objectives, specifically with international growth, for example, or technology or global. There's just a wide variety. You basically need to decide what is your personal objective and can you find an exchange-traded fund or a few exchange-traded funds that aligns with what those objectives are. Right. So let's talk about some of the risks and rewards that are associated with exchange traded funds compared to mutual funds. So, as we had mentioned, um, you may have more of a narrow focus with some mutual funds, but with specifically with ETFs, you're going to find that there can be a really high concentration, right? A really high concentration on a very specific industry. So, for example, you may be looking just at that technology industry. Well, one of the problems with that such a narrow focus is that may not be owned by a lot of people. And that means there's a lack of supply of that, right? So when there's a lack of supply, it's harder to buy and sell that particular exchange-traded fund. So please be careful if you're looking at exchange-traded funds, look at the size of the fund as well, because that can give you an indication as to whether or not you're going to be able to buy at the price that you want to buy at and sell at the price that you want to be able to sell at. All right. Now, what are the rewards of exchange-traded funds? Uh, well, the biggest reward is, is sort of what we said at the outset, is that they have lower fees, right? In many cases, the, these exchange-traded funds are passively managed. They don't actually have a manager on staff to manage the fund, especially the index ETFs. Um, so the fees are considerably lower relative to mutual funds. There are also, for whatever reason, there are fewer regulations for exchange-traded funds. Uh, so that also provides inherent reduced costs. And then all the benefit of all of that is that you've got that much more of your money that you invest into the fund that stays in the fund and grows on your behalf. And not a lot of that or as much of that is being extracted out to pay for all sorts of things and reducing your overall return. Another benefit of exchange-traded funds is it's a little bit easier to achieve achieve, uh, diversification And then finally, if you want to have the feeling of being an investor yourself, you actually want to be the person who puts in the buys and the sell orders, but you still kind of want some assistance, well, exchange-traded funds are a great way to go. For example, if you wanted to track the S&P 500 yourself and you didn't want to hire an advisor to do that for you, you'd actually have to go out and buy one of every company in the S&P 500. Um, Not only is that going to be laborious on your behalf, it's going to be expensive. It's going to be hard to do. And and just buying a single share of each of those 500 stocks might not be providing you the diversification that you're looking for. Uh, Where if you're providing, if if you're buying an index ETF, that's already done for you. And you can actually have that diversification with just two, three, or four purchases. And that way you're kind of still the trader, but you're not taking on all the risk because you're still getting some sort of assistance. 
So what's the real value of mutual funds and ETFs? Well, the truth is that mutual funds and ETFs have helped create millionaires across the world, especially here in the United States. A lot of folks who have become millionaires have used mutual funds and ETFs as their vehicles to get there. There was a study that came out that was reported on in Business Insider. That study surveyed 10,000 millionaires in the United States. And what was interesting is that 80% of those millionaires became millionaires not because of a high-paying job, one that earned them six figures or more, or not because they inherited a bunch of money that helped them become millionaires, but rather the vast majority of them, 80% of those 10,000 millionaires, they did it by investing in their 401ks. Again, this is why we're going to pound into this point. Every LGBT person who has access to a 401k or a retirement vehicle through their employer needs to be using it. And when you do that, when you use a 401k, more often than not, you're going to have access to investing in mutual funds and ETFs. So what about us? How have mutual funds and ETFs helped us? Well, you've heard our backstory, right? Having $51,000 in credit card debt, having the smack upside the head that said you need to change your life and if you really want to have success. And we decided to start doing that. So we went from having that negative net worth and paying off our debt. As soon as we got to this point where our debt was paid off, John and I continued to use the same tactics that help us reduce our expenses to pay off our debt to turn around and grow our investments. We didn't grow our expenses, we grew our investments. And the vast majority of where our money went was into our 401ks. When John and I quit our corporate jobs, we were not retirement millionaires. We did not have a million dollars. But in the years since that happened, we crossed that millionaire mark. And the vast majority of the money that is in our retirement accounts is in mutual funds and ETFs. So that's the foundation of what you need to know about investing in the investments you'll most want to invest in to reach your financial independence. So stay tuned for your career money takeaway for this episode. Make sure to check out more ways that Capital One can help you achieve financial well-being at CapitalOne.com. That's Capital One. Thank you again for listening to another episode of the Queer Money Podcast. Here's your Queer Money takeaway from this particular episode. On episode 290, your takeaway was to start watching the performance of a few individual stocks and become familiar with the stock market language, right? Well, this week, we want to encourage you to start doing some research based on diversified index mutual funds and ETFs. And a great place to start are the investments in your 401k or what's available to you in your employer-sponsored plan. You want to take a look at that and you can build a solid portfolio with as little as three to five funds. Then next year, next week, (laughs) (laughs) join us when we interview Jim and Lewis, a retired gay couple who's slow traveling around the globe in cheaper LGBTQ-friendly locations, rarely in the U.S., to stretch their retirement dollars further. Their story is inspiring. Finally, we make the Queer Money podcast for you, so please post your money questions in the Queer Money Facebook group. We may answer your question in an upcoming episode. Thank you. Have a great week, and we'll talk with you next year. From Los Angeles, California to Winooski, Vermont, we're taking Queer Money on the road. Join us as we gamify personal finance with Queer Money Bingo or catch our signature Live Fabulously, Not Fabulously Broke Talk and so much more in between. Check out QueerMoneyPodcast.com forward slash tour or the link in your podcast player regularly for date and location updates.